Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. For me, thank you so much for doing that Bible reading for us. And uh, good morning, everybody here in the building and also those of you watching online. I need a little table today. If I've not met you before, if you're new here, you're here for the first time in our church or watching online, then it's really good to have you with us. My name is Graham. I'm the vicar of the church. And um, we are beginning a new little sermon series thinking about the words and the works of Jesus. And from now up until Christmas, each week we are looking at a gospel story, an account of something that Jesus said or something that Jesus did and uh, to consider the implications for our lives as those who follow Jesus, those who are called by his name. And today we're going to think about the subject of generosity, Jesus and generosity. Shall we pray? Father, we ask that by your spirit, you would give us open ears, and open hearts to hear and to respond to Jesus' word to us today. As we consider scripture, as we reflect upon the life and the nature of Jesus and consider how we follow him, may we be encouraged, may we be transformed, may we be emboldened to give our obedient yes to his call. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus sat down and watched. That's how our passage begins that Fumi just read for us. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. He sat down and watched. It's a little intimidating, isn't it? Imagine yourself there, ready to make your tithe, your offering. You're subtly, discreetly popping up to the card machine at the back of church. You think, I'll give this week and I'll drop some money in. Jesus is just sat there watching. I see you. Or, Or you're out shopping, alone, no one else with you. And, um, You see something and you think, oh, that's a nice bit of clothing. I could do with that. I don't need it, but it would look good on me and make me feel good about myself. And Jesus is just there, sat on the bench outside the changing rooms, watching. Jesus sat down and watched. Jesus looks at us. He looks at you. He looks at me. And he waits and he watches to see what we will do with our money. I say our money, it's not really our money. The money entrusted to us, the money that we think we have, the money that we have in our bank accounts. Um, That's my bank statement from September. And um, I haven't gone through it yet to check whether there's any incriminating transactions. But it's here, and um, you're welcome to come and have a look at it later on. And if there's anything you want to ask me about, you can ask me. You'll find out how much I get paid each month. Um... Because we have to bring money into the light. Jesus sits down and watches, but we like to hide. Jesus' teaching often centered on the role of money, wealth, and possessions in our lives. Rachel spoke last week about an encounter that Jesus had with a rich young ruler who wanted to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And he knew, he knew all about the commandments. He knew what he should be doing to one another. But Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Then come and follow me. And the man went away heavy-hearted for he was very wealthy and he loved his possessions. Wealth, money, possessions become an alternative God for us. A support structure that we put our trust in. 
They become the means by which we think we will pay for our basic needs. Food, gas bills, and we're all worried about our gas bills at the moment. They become the means by which we think we'll afford that holiday that we so desperately crave and need. They become the means by which we think we'll provide for ourselves in our old age. We use our money, our wealth, our possessions basically as a way of becoming master and commander of our own destiny. To become lord of our own lives. To seat ourselves at the very centre of the throne room of our hearts. King of our lives, our families, our homes, our environment. And Jesus says that throne is mine. Uh, through the history of the church there have been many notable teachers and leaders who have talked about the stages of conversion to Christ Martin Luther said there, was, there were three conversions the conversion of the heart the conversion of the mind and finally the conversion of the purse your heart might be converted to follow Jesus Christ. Eventually your mind may come to believe that Jesus' truth uh, that he reveals to us in his word is, is true and is right for us. That's when our mind is converted and we begin to bring, it, bring our lives into alignment with his will for us. But so often the purse is the last thing. Uh, John Wimber said that there were three conversions needed. The conversion to Jesus, the conversion to the church and the conversion of um, the wallet. John Wesley said, the last part of a man to be converted is their wallet. We like secrecy and privacy, especially with regard to money and possessions. I heard recently of um, a, a, a writer, Christian teacher, who practices participative budgeting in his prayer triplet. And with two close friends, they sit down once a year for a couple of hours and make an annual budget and discuss what they're spending their money on and show each other their bank statements. And they've actually committed themselves to a little rule that says that any sort of discretionary expenditure above a certain amount, they have to check in with each other and bring to the group. So, you know, you think to yourself, oh... What I really fancy is the latest Apple Watch. I don't need it, but I, I just think it will make me happy. Just that moment of sharing with two other friends might just be enough to trigger the thought, is this really a good use of the resources entrusted to me? It, it might be. Sometimes I'm not, I'm not knocking things. Sometimes we're going to need technology and we're going to need things or, or want things that will make our life uh, enjoyable and pleasurable. Different ways. There's that openness, that transparency, that accountability. Jesus likes to bring things out into the light for discussion. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents people were putting money into the temple treasury and Jesus was watching them. Why? Why were they putting money into the temple treasury? Well, the temple was at the very heart of national life and identity. So in some ways it was easy to do because it was a way of putting your money, your treasure, where your heart is. And if your heart is for national identity and solidarity with your fellow man and woman and you want to support uh, the life of your nation, then that is perhaps a little bit easier to do. What might it be in our day? Well, um, shopping and entertainment are probably the two things that are at the heart of our national life. When people talk about the economy, they get very worried that people won't go out and spend enough money on recreation, on, on consumer goods, on those sorts of things. And we can get sucked into that, can't we? The way to avoid recession is to go and shop. But there was also a cost to sustaining the temple. The temple had its own temple guard. They needed to be paid. There was food to pay for. I mean, it's true that in the sacrificial system, the priests and those who tended to the temple got, got to eat some of the sacrificial offerings, but of course, much of it was burnt up, and so they needed to be given uh, grain and, and drink as well. There were stonemasons and builders to pay for repairs or developments. You know, there were light bulbs to change, and someone had to climb the ladder to do it. I don't think they had light bulbs, but there were oil for the oil lamps, perhaps. Priests needed to be provided with food and with clothes. 
People put money into the temple treasury because they valued the role of the temple in their common life together. They valued it as a place which enabled them to gather to offer up praise and worship to God, to be reconciled to God. Do we value the role of the church in our lives today to enable all of those things? Do we care for this building? Do we care for those who organize our common life and our mission, those who organize us in worship, in kids' work, in pastoral care, as well as those who manage the building, making sure there's heating, lighting, toilet paper? Jesus sat down and opposite the place where offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And when he saw something particularly noteworthy, what did he do? Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. I mean, what's wrong with Jesus? Is he bad at maths? She only had two copper coins worth only a few cents. What does he mean she put more into the temple treasury than all these others? Lots of people were throwing in large amounts of money. The wealthy were coming in large amounts. What does Jesus mean? Why, how could he think that she was giving more? She wasn't. She was poor. She just had two small copper coins. But here's what is noteworthy. That Jesus wants his disciples to learn from this passage. And by his disciples I mean the 12 who followed him. But also the 72 and the early church. And by extension us. The widow gave sacrificially. It really cost her to give. Perhaps some of the wealthy people who threw in large amounts didn't even really notice their giving. Because even if it was a large amount, it may have been proportionally small to them. In commending this widow's offering, in praising her, in sitting, watching, observing and pointing her out, Jesus also commends those who give sacrificially and generously to support the mission of his church. So here's the key spiritual lesson. And if you remember nothing else from today other than the awkward uncomfortableness of the fact that we're obviously talking about money and there's obviously going to be an appeal at the end. Remember this, God values not how much we give, but how much it costs us. God values not how much we give, but how much it costs us. Because it's about generosity. It's about sacrificial, cheerful, generous participation in this cycle of giving. I've got two aims for the time that we have today. I want to help you learn today how to become more generous. And I'll be really honest with you as well, I also want to persuade you today to give money to the church to support the mission and ministry of the church if you don't already. And if you do, I want to thank you and I want you to go away and pray and think and review your giving. Two honest aims about the time that we have today to help you learn how to become generous and to persuade you of the importance of giving to the mission and ministry of this, our local church, to give into our common purse. Now you might think that the, the first one is kind of just window dressing for the second, that I want to persuade you of the benefit of becoming more generous so that as a response, you'll come and say, oh yeah, now I need to set up a standing order to St. John's and do that. And if you think that, you're not entirely wrong. But you're also not entirely right because I do believe that to become more generous is to become more like Jesus. And the aim of my ministry, my mission, my vocation, my life in this church is to present you mature in Christ, complete in Christ, to help you and me, us together, collectively become more like Jesus. That's the purpose of our lives, is to become more fully human by becoming more like Jesus. If we become less like Jesus, we become dehumanized, and as we become more like Jesus, we are rehumanized. We discover what it means to be a human being fully alive. And to become more like Jesus, we need to learn how to enter into cheerful, sacrificial, generous giving, because it's what God does. And 
we can only, if we're going to become more like God, we have to enter into it as well. Not in a calculated way, not an, instru- not an instrumental way, mechanistically trying to rig the scales in our favour, but just as our hearts fall in love again with Jesus. And we think, yes, this is the way to live. This is the way to be free. This is the way to be joyful. It's to be more like Jesus. And the world's going to tell me all kinds of other things. The world's going to tell me a whole load of lies. The devil is going to be working out his lies. He is the father of lies and he's going to work it out through the world which is going to say the only person who really cares about you is yourself and the only person who will ever provide for your needs is yourself and therefore you must accumulate, acquire, build up, hoard possessions and wealth and money so that you can be master and commander of your own destiny. That is what the devil will say to you through the lies of this world. And it's not true. It's not true. And Jesus wants to set you free with his truth. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That when we become more like Jesus, when we enter into the joyful, cheerful, sacrificial, generous lifestyle, nature, character, behavior of God, we become more like Jesus and we become more truly free to live. So I'm going to run through um, a short series of thoughts on why and how we should become more generous and then we're going to pause for a breather and we're going to watch for the final time uh, this month, I promise, the little invest video that we've been showing the last few weeks. And then uh, I'm going to try and give you a short list of reasons why I think we should give to our local church. If you belong to St. John's, that's this local church. If you move out of this neighbourhood and you go somewhere else, then please cancel your standing order St. John's and go and start giving to that local church. The point is we give where we belong. I'm going to share some thoughts of that and then there'll be an opportunity for us to respond. So some thoughts on why and how to become generous, first of all. Number one, and I've already expanded on this quite a bit, generosity is in the nature of God. God exists in a triune relationship of overflowing, generous, giving love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always loving the other, giving to the other their attention, their love, their joy. Giving exists within the very nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are caught up in this eternal dance of overflowing joy and love and affection. In the same way that when you're in love with a person or spouse, a family member, you will give your attention, your affection, your energy, your time, and you'll give it freely because you have discovered the beauty of love. You're participating in the nature of love. You won't give that love, that affection, that attention, that time to your spouse in a calculating manner. I mean, you might do sometimes. But when you're caught up in the mystery of love, you'll give it freely and joyfully and spontaneously because when we participate in that kind of love, we're participating in the very nature of God. God gives in creation. He gives us an abundance. He gives all things for our delight and our enjoyment and our pleasure. The skies, the waters, the landscapes, fruit, trees, all kinds of things. God gives to meet our need. He gives to sustain our life. He gives us food. He gives us water. He gives us sunshine. God gives in all these practical ways. It's this generous giving is in the very nature of God. And because we have uh, been alienated from God, because we have rebelled, we've been caught up in that primal rebellion, because we're marred by the dysfunction and the disease of sin, we're stained. God forgives so that we can be reconciled to him giving and forgiving. If you want to ever think more about the relationship between giving and forgiving, then I want to commend to you a book by a theologian called Miroslav Volf. Um, it's called Free of Charge. And uh, this is one of the most magnificent books I've ever read about uh, giving and forgiving and, and how uh, generous giving is in the nature of God. And it's made manifest in God's relationship with humanity through the forgiveness enacted for us through Jesus. So generosity is in the nature of God. A second uh, thought on why and how to become generous. Um, God does a miracle with what we give. 
even when we don't have enough. And this is what I call the insufficient offering principle. And you remember the story of the small boy with uh, the five loaves and the two fish. And he comes to Jesus and there's a big crowd of 5,000 hungry and waiting to be fed. And these uh, five loaves and two fish are blatantly not enough. It's insufficient. And yet the boy offers them to Jesus. Jesus takes them, blesses them, breaks them and distributes them. And all are fed and there is a surplus left over. We don't give because we have enough to give. We give because it's part of God's nature and we are free to become generous because actually it doesn't depend on our giving. We don't have enough, but God works through this insufficient offering principle. What we have to offer is insufficient, yet it can be transformed by Jesus who is all sufficient. We become generous to develop a deeper trust in God. Think about Matthew 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What we do with our money, our wealth, our possessions, our time, our attention will show what we truly love. And think as well about that passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus is saying, consider the birds of the air, consider the lilies of the field. They don't have to toil, they don't have to worry about it, but God gives them what they need. How much more will your Father in heaven who loves you give you what you need? Giving our money away helps us to depend on God for our needs rather than on our own means. So it helps us trust him. When we give sacrificially, we all know that we will have to go without something that we wish for or desire because of our giving. And we learn a deeper trust in God to provide for the things that we need. Our giving reveals what we truly treasure and who we really trust. So it's a, it's a great way of taking your spiritual temperature. Stick that giving thermometer in your mouth and you can find out a lot about yourself. But we also become generous to break the chains that enslave us. And fear about money has become a tool of enslavement in our contemporary society. Fear about not having enough money, anxiety about managing our money, anxiety about debt, uh, a a desire to accumulate more money so that we can have more freedom, uh, supposed freedom and control over our lives. We experience slavery in relation to money. We're enslaved by the belief that more money will afford us the security and the means to be who we want to be. But we're also enslaved by a fear that not having enough money will cause us great stress and suffering. Either way, it's our faith in the ability of money to either purchase satisfaction or avoid desolation that leaves us enslaved to money. And giving is an incredibly powerful way to break the chains that money ties around us. There's something quite reckless about giving money away, especially when we don't really get any reward from doing so. It's a powerful sign that we're not going to be conformed to a society that is obsessed with money. Fifth reason on why and how we become generous. Learn to give generously. Followers of Jesus seek to reflect and embody his generous love and goodness in the world around us. So just as God is generous in creation and God is generous in his eternal nature and the triune love, if we're going to become like God, we need to become generous as well. And his generosity is inexhaustible. And so may ours be. And here's a great mystery. And it goes, runs completely uh, counter and opposite to the narratives of our culture. The author Francis Swafford put it this way. He said, give as though nothing you gave away could ever make you poorer, for you can never run out of that which you give. Give as though nothing you gave away could ever make you poorer, for you can never run out of that which you give. You remember the story of Elijah and the, and the widow and uh, her jar of oil. And she said, I have nothing to give to you. Um, I'm just going to make a little meal for me and my son then will die. And Elijah says, serve me, serve me your meal first. And she does in obedience and in trust. And she discovers that the jar of oil never runs out. All that we have comes from God. It's not ours anyway, it all, it all comes from God. And his generosity is the source and the inspiration of all our giving. And when we remember what we have received, God's grace makes us generous. And I encourage you to, uh, I'm going to say more about this in a moment, but test it out. Discover that actually when you 
give sacrificially, generously, you suddenly discover that you are not without after all. Finally, something, final point about how and why we become generous. Give without control or reward. So learn to give rather than shop. We live in a society which is obsessed with shopping and transactional exchanges. We use, we're used to transactions where we calculate the return. Is it worth it? We think about the return on investment. We think about how much we spend and whether what we get is good quality and whether it will last. But it, you see, it's trying to control what we're getting in return. It's not really giving, it, it's getting by exchange. Giving doesn't seek to control in the same way. Don't give to receive. Jesus in Luke 14 says, when you throw a dinner, don't just invite all your rich friends, family and neighbours who can return the favour and invite you back. Don't get caught up in kind of sort of reciprocal middle class dinner party culture where you're always doing one-upmanship over the quality of the wine or whatever it might be. Give to those who can't repay your generosity. Give recklessly. Give in a way that people won't see. Um, in this book that I mentioned earlier on, there's a fantastic story about Peter Schaffer's play, Amadeus. Some of you would have seen the play or the film. And um, it's about uh, the Viennese composer Antonio Salieri, who was um, a, a coterminant who, who lived at the same time as Mozart. And uh, he, he writes this, Antonio Salieri, as a boy, kneels before a crucifix and tries to make a bargain with God. Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous throughout the world, dear God. Make me immortal. And what will God get for doing him this favor? In return, Salieri says, I, I vow I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility every hour of my life and I will help my fellow man all I can. Miroslav Volf says that Salieri was offering God a deal. He says, I'll sacrifice for you, but in return, you have to fulfill my desire for immortality and glory. He says, too often we approach God like that, like we can make a, a, a contract, a deal. We can negotiate with God. I'll do this, that, and the other, as long as you give me the spouse of my dreams, the home of my dreams, a secure future. That's not giving, that's just bartering and dealing. We can do it in other subtle ways. We can have the Father Christmas image of God. You know, nice, nice, naughty, nice. I've been good. I was on the rotor. I turned up on time. I didn't swear. I don't watch that kind of show. I don't watch Squid Games. You know, whatever it might be, we can make bargains with God where we think I should get good stuff in return because I was nice rather than naughty. Those are some thoughts about how and why we should become generous. Let's watch this video for a breather and a pause for thought. What has God given to you? All that we have comes from God. And what money we have is given us to use and invest in God's kingdom. Whether we have five pounds, 50 pounds or 500 pounds to invest, we're invited to put our money to work for God's kingdom. And this month, we're inviting every one of you to prayerfully decide how you will invest what God has entrusted to you. This is for everyone, whether you're 15 or 50. Giving generously is in the very nature of God. And when we give cheerfully, generously and sacrificially, we become more like Jesus and we grow closer to God. So pray, think and decide how you will respond. Maybe you already give financially, but it's time to revise the amount. Maybe you've never given money regularly, but you want to start. Maybe you give from time to time, but it's time to give regularly. Whatever it is for you, I urge you to act. The money you give will make you more like Jesus. It will set you free and it will help transform lives and build God's kingdom. So visit www.sjh.org.uk forward slash giving and click invest. to uh, run through a short series of thoughts on why we should give to the local church. So I've said that I wanted to persuade you, I wanted to help you learn how to become more generous and why that's important. Um, now I want to give you some thoughts on why we might give to this church, to this local church. Uh, and I'm going to do this slightly quicker. Uh, the first is that giving to the local church is a sign of belonging. 
It's a sign of community. It's a sign of family. It's about our common purse and our life together. In 2 Corinthians 8, uh, St. Paul is appealing to the Christians at Corinth to, but to see themselves as belonging to a wider body, a wider family. He's urging them to become generous in how they tend to each other's needs, but also how they might give uh, generously to support the rest of the church, and particularly the church in Jerusalem. A friend of mine once commented that you couldn't be a proper church without three essential things. Firstly, authorised leadership. Secondly, sacramental worship, practices of baptism and Holy Communion. And thirdly, he said, a collection. It was quite a surprising claim. I thought, what does it, what does it mean to say that you can't be a proper church without a collection? Well, he said, that's the moment where everybody gets to participate and bring their offering. Not everybody in our family will get to stand on the stage and preach a sermon. Not everybody can play guitar as well as Jeremy. But all of us can participate in the mission and the ministry of this church by getting involved generously, by giving to the local church. And let me be clear, that is giving our time, our gifts, serving on teams, joining connect groups where we can grow and we can help encourage and build up others, helping with the kids' ministry, coming to help on the team for Livers and Johns to set up the chairs and do mission in our neighborhood, helping with the football tournament that's happening this afternoon, all those different things. But yes, it is also about giving our money. When we give our money as well as our time and our gifts to the church, we're saying that we belong. We move from being consumers to contributors, from being passengers to participants, from being spectators to being stakeholders. London's a really curious place. I realise that many people have a very instrumental relationship with London. Many people come to London to further their career, to meet a spouse and then to leave. And people come from all over the world to do that. They, the people come to do their studies so they can get a qualification to get themselves a better job so they can earn more money and provide for themselves and become master and commander of their own destiny. People come to London and they join a church hoping they might find somebody, you know, they come young, free, single and ready to mingle or whatever the expression is. It's been a long time since I did that. But, um, you know, they, people have come. We have a very instrumental relationship with London, with the city, but also sometimes with the church. I suspect if I asked you, most of you don't think that you're going to die and be buried in Hoxton. Most of you think that you're just passing through. And that can make it really easy to just sort of have quite a casual relationship with the local church because it's not really part of your life's ambition or plan. You just come while it's convenient and it works. Giving is a way that you can express your belonging. And as I say, you know, God does call us. We do move on to different places and there'll be, a time when, there'll be a time when I'm not the vicar here. I might be the vicar somewhere else, I might be doing some other job and I'll give it to the other local church wherever I'm worshipping at that stage. But giving is a sign of belonging and participation. G- giving also uh, is provision, provision. Pro-vision. You see, it's about supporting the vision. It's about backing the vision. We express the vision of our local church in our, in our new mission action plan. You've just received another copy. Some of you received a copy a couple of weeks ago. There was actually an error in it. And um, so this one doesn't have errors in it. This one is reprinted without any muddled titles or uh, abruptly shortened sentences. So take this away and read it. Ephesians 4, we are one church, one body with one Lord. Giving money to the church expresses that we are for the vision of this local church. And if we believe, if we truly believe, that this local church is actually appointed and anointed by God for his purposes in Hoxton, to see every woman, man and child in Hoxton experience what it means to be reconciled to God in Christ. If we believe that the staff, the ministries, the activities are necessary and valuable, then we'll find ourselves excited about giving our money to support the work because it's like, we can make this happen. We actually can make this happen. We can help support youth work, mission, outreach, and we can do it with our time and our gifts, but we can do it as well with our money. Our financial giving becomes a mark of our commitment to God's work of mission through the local church. We provide the resources that enable mission and ministry staff to lead, serve, and equip the whole church for worship discipleship and mission thirdly um, we give to the local church because the local church is where we are invited to find our primary relationships it's often said that blood is thicker than water but I tell you that the waters of baptism are thicker than blood 
the waters of baptism reconstitute us into a family, a body, a people, a new covenant community. We become brothers and sisters in Christ, co-heirs with Christ. And that means that the people you're sitting next to on these chairs are as important to you as brothers and sisters as your biological family may be. Yea, even more. Let that sink in for a moment. That's a claim that runs counter to all of the narratives of this world. But it's a claim that we see worked out in Acts 2 in that new community of Christians. The believers met together and held all they had in common, sharing their possessions they gave to each as they had need. Some, even when they had means, would sell a property or a piece of land and come and put the money, the proceeds, at the apostles' feet to distribute to others. The local church is one of our places where our primary relationships are worked out. That's also actually why I want to urge you to keep in touch with each other through the week. Just recently, um, I I was really concerned because somebody in our church was was away and I hadn't seen them for quite a few weeks and I sent text message after text message and had no reply. Tried calling, sent an email, no reply. I was like, am I being ghosted? Did I offend this person? What's what's going on? Finally, I I heard from somebody else that they were traveling and I got a response and that's fine. But you know, like I wouldn't dream of leaving the country for five months without telling my mum that I was going overseas. But we do with each other, don't we? And that there's a challenge to all of us about our primary relationships. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The early church practiced radical generosity in meeting the needs of the poor, whether or not they were Christians, but they especially had concern for the family of believers. You know, here's another thought. Supporting kids and youth work in this church is part of co-parenting. We don't have to join a kind of Swedish commune in the 1970s to practice communal living and co-parenting. We can do it by the way we invest our time, our money, our energy into the kids and youth ministry. And then we've said about giving to the local church, we've learned from, uh, from the passage we read today, uh, the story of the widow's might, that it's not how much we give that God values, it's how much it costs us. If you are subsisting on benefits at the moment, if you're struggling financially, if money feels so, so tight and you have very little to go around, and yet you think, I could do five pounds a month, that may be far more valuable in God's economy than the person who can casually give 50 pounds without noticing it. Please believe that, and please believe that I believe that. I actually don't care how much money anybody here gives. I care how many of us are involved in giving. And I've spent 20 years in ministry trying to work that process out. And that's true because I believe that God will provide us what we need for our local church. So I don't care how much you give. I care that we collectively give. But if you are that person who gives £100 a month, but you don't notice it because actually you're being paid £4,000 a month. Work out what you can give that you're going to notice. Work out how you can become more generous, more sacrificial. That's between you and God. That's not up to me. I don't care. I don't need to know. But I do want us all to be involved. Super practical tips. Then I've got to bring it into land because it's going on too long. Sorry. Give by standing order, direct debit. Be honest if it's based on what's left in your pocket on a Sunday. I mean, we're not even passing around baskets anymore, so you can't give cash in a collection anymore. If you're going to give financially to the life of this church, you're going to have to make some decisions. You're going to have to take some action. You're going to have to get online and fill out a direct debit instruction. If you give based on what's left in your pocket, it might not be very much. Couples. If you're a married couple in this church, I want to encourage you to give separately. That might sound counterintuitive. I mean, it's, and again, it's up to you. It's not my decision, it's your decision. It might not be as tax efficient to give separately, but in God's economy, it might mean more. Uh, so I'm going to be honest, Sarah and I give separately in the church here. Sarah doesn't pay income tax. Um, I'm sorry, I'm oversh- I hope you don't think I'm oversharing. I didn't, I didn't clear this first. But 
Sarah doesn't pay income tax, which means that the church cannot claim any gift aid on the donations that Sarah makes to the life of the church. It would be more tax efficient and more beneficial for our church if I did all the giving, because I do pay income tax and the church could claim more gift aid, right? But in God's kingdom, in God's economy, that's less people participating. So I want to be bold. And again, this is, not in, this is not in the financial interests of the church. And PCC members might chastise me later for this. But I honestly believe it's more important that more of us are involved in giving than that we get the most lucrative, tax-efficient deal out of our giving. Hear me on that. That's important. Budget your giving. Give regularly to multiple places. Give to the other causes. Give, give to the things that you won't see. Give with a bit of reckless abandon. Don't be too calculating. Be prepared to give spontaneously. I very rarely carry my wallet around with me anymore because um, we all use digital things. But I keep, um, I keep um, Sainsbury's gift cards in my wallet because it means that I can give to somebody on the street or uh, in a cafe if I, if I need to. Um, I rarely have cash. Actually, I might have some at the moment. I think I've got, I've got 20 pounds in my wallet. But I have um, 40 pounds in gift cards. So if I'm approached, and, and you can buy £5 gift cards, right? Buy yourself four £5 gift cards. Keep them in your wallet or your purse. And when somebody stops you on the street and asks for some change, say, hey, do you want, can I go get yourself a sandwich, a drink? Think about it. Think about how you can give. Pray, decide, act. You know, pray about it, decide, but act. Getting, getting started is often the hardest thing. If you are not accustomed to giving financially to the local church, then um, filling out the paperwork is sometimes the hardest thing. It's a bit like, uh, for me, going for a run, putting on my shorts is the hardest part of the whole thing. Once I put my shorts and my running shoes on, the rest of it's pretty easy. It's, it's actually that first stage which is hardest. Plan your giving for when you die. Have you written a will? Again, honest truth, we haven't, which is ridiculously negligent and reckless, and we should have done, and we really must get onto that. But, you know, plan, plan what, you know, some of you are going to have some money, some stuff, some, a house, um, some property. What are you going to, how are you going to, how are you going to support God's mission in the world when you die? Think about it, plan it. And this is for everyone. We've got teenagers in the church, I'm so delighted to say, who give monthly by direct debit. If you're an adult here and you don't, don't be put to shame by the, the youth among us. Um, and if you think that's a little bit manipulative me, well, St. Paul does the same thing. St. Paul says to the Christians in Corinth, you wouldn't want to be outdone by the Macedonians in their generosity, would you? Right? So it's there in scripture, so I'm doing it too. Um, this is the one area where God invites us to test him. Right, we know that usually we're supposed to trust in God and not put him to the test. But what does he say in Malachi 3.10? Bring the whole of the tithe and the offerings into the storehouses and see if I will not be faithful in this and provide an abundance for your land. This is the one area of your life where God says, put me to the test. I can do it all. Give generously. Give till it's a little bit uncomfortable and see how I respond. Start small and build up like running or building up muscles, but start. You know, if you're going to run a marathon and you've not done any running, you don't go and do an 18-mile training run on your first run. You start small and you build up, but start. So we're going to conclude and we're going to worship together. And the kids are coming back and that's fine because we can all do this together as a church family. And then we'll move into communion. And um, sorry, not sorry for spending more time doing this than I had intended to. But just think about two people who encountered Jesus uh, and were confronted in thinking about their response in terms of their money. The rich young ruler uh, that we heard about last week who left Jesus, who couldn't follow Jesus and he went away sad because he had many possessions and he loved his wealth. Do you want to be like that guy? Or do you want to be like Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus in Luke 19 that Jesus saw in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to eat with you. I want to come and make my home with you. I want to come to your house and have fellowship with you. And Zacchaeus has hidden up a tree so that he'd be away from the crowd because he was loathed and despised because he was a tax collector. And he was complicit in the Roman Empire. And people didn't like him. And he'd extorted money out of people. So he was probably at the risk of physical violence from people who were angry with him. And he hides up a tree and he's trying to keep his distance. And Jesus sees him. And Jesus sees you today. Jesus sat down opposite the place where people were putting money into the offering and he watched them. Jesus sees you today. 
But Zacchaeus responds with joy. He says, Lord, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to make it up. I'm going to give back to them. I'm going to give my possessions away to support the poor. And how does Jesus respond? He says, salvation has come to this house. This is what it means to be made whole, to be healed, to be saved. So how will you respond to Jesus as he sits there and he watches you? Will you go away sad and heavy hearted or will you respond like Zacchaeus? Will you come to him? Jeremy's going to come and lead us in a worship song and um, this is the last time we're doing this and we're going to shut about, up about this for um, probably about five months. So there's your advance warning that we'll, we'll, we'll do this all again in April um, because there'll be different people in the room in April. These cards are there to help you make a decision today. And there are three really simple decisions we're inviting you to make. If you're somebody who already gives regularly to the life and the mission of this church, I want to invite you to commit to pray and review your giving. That's not telling you what you're going to do. Some of you, your conditions, your situation are more tight. You're going to need to reduce your giving. Somebody wrote to me recently and said, I've got to reduce my giving because business is not going well. I've not earned as much money as I thought. Fine. So pray and review. You might want to reduce your giving. You might want to increase it. But please, please make the decision to pray it, pray about it and to review it. Some of you don't give to the church at the moment, but you want to start. And five pounds, 50 pounds, 500 pounds, whatever it is, make the decision. Figure out what you're going to do. And some of you give occasionally at the card machine at the back or when, it, when you remember or when you feel inspired, but you're like, no, no, I need to make this part of my lifestyle my habit, I want to become more like Jesus so I'm going to make this part of what I do all you have to do is choose one of those three boxes and during this worship song we're going to take up a, an offering, and it's just an offering of cards, completed cards and the welcome team are going to pass around baskets and I want to invite you to fill this out, I filled mine last week but I'm going to fill out another one and I'm doing number one, I'm ticking to pray and review my own personal giving um, I want you to use the pens and the cards that are there, if you haven't got a pen the team will have pens. Let's stand together if you're able to. Um, Jeremy's going to lead us in a song. If you need to sit down or lean on something to write your card, that's fine as well. But let's pray. Father, it can feel uncomfortable to be talking about money together, to be talking about money in the life of our church together. But we know that you love us to bring things into the light, into the light of Christ. And so I pray and ask this day that your Holy Spirit would give us joy and freedom in our hearts as we seek to become generous, to become more generous, to become more like Jesus. Lord, help us to respond to you as Zacchaeus responded, with joy, with reckless abandon, with generosity, with dedicated obedience may we not go away today feeling heavy hearted but may we go away today feeling joyful and full of freedom because we know that salvation has come to our house to our lives we offer you our very selves we surrender all that we are all that we have to you and we worship you let's sing let's fill out our cards and the baskets will come round I surrender to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live I surrender Jesus, take me now.
surrender all and I surrender all all to Thee my blessed Savior I surrender all I surrender, make me Savior, holy Thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit truly know that Thou art not I. pledges these responses that we have made today and uh, Father we ask that you would uh, a bit like the insufficient offering principle these loaves and these fishes that we have to offer these and these pledges these responses in a way they're not enough and yet we know that you can make them enough you can make them more than enough so we pray your blessing upon the lives of each person who has completed a card today each person who's responded in their heart And Lord, we thank you that you are working out your purposes here. You are building your kingdom in our midst. And we give you praise and honour for including us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.